You know, we all want to get life right, to use the skills we've been blessed with and leave an impactful legacy. But we mess up often because our priorities are wrong. Well, in today's episode of the Vineyard Church Podcast, Myron discusses the importance of setting our priorities on the things that matter and building a legacy that lives on for generations to come. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're in our series, Genesis, uh, unpacking the very beginning, the origin of all of humanity and the first book of the Bible. And it's been such a great journey. And so today we're coming to a chapter that when I first read it, I was like, what? <laughs> Can we just skip this? Like, this is like a two minute Devo, read it. Yeah, whatever. No big deal. Let's get to the more interesting stuff that's going to happen in chapter 24. But chapter 23, as mundane or insignificant as it may seem, I want to try to pull something very rich out of it for us to, uh, to understand and to learn about ourselves and apply to our lives and hopefully leave her a little bit different uh, than, than when we started our time together. And so um, there's, a, there's a big time gap between chapter 22 and 23. It's about 15 years-ish, roughly, between uh, last week or last chapter we unpacked for two weeks, Abraham's faith, the greatest test of his faith and kind of this pinnacle climactic moment of his faith where he was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And we unpacked that for two weeks. And so after that event, there's been kind of a lull here about 15 years. And then we pick up to this event that happens in chapter 23. It's one of the shorter chapters in Genesis, about 20 verses. And so part of me wanted to read it. Okay, it happened and move on. But I want to extract something out of this. And I want to talk about our legacy. And I want to talk about Abraham and Sarah, their legacy together in their marriage, and also Abraham's legacy up to this point, and then kind of lay a little bit of the foundation of the future of where this the story of you know Genesis is going to take us. And it's all wrapped up around this idea of legacy. And legacy, a legacy or 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 building a legacy and having a legacy has been kind of you know on my heart. And uh, we started a club down at John Marshall High School, and uh, we got favor with the with the administration and teachers. And we actually started a club down in the school during their club time called Legacy Club because we felt it was just so essential to teach these kids, these young teenagers, at a young age that what you do now impacts your future. And so lay the foundation and the groundwork now, get it right now, so that you can have an incredible life. And then once you die, because all of us are going to die die, you leave behind the world a much better place than when you were brought into it. And so I want to look at Abraham's legacy and this passage through that lens, because a legacy is something transmitted or received from ancestors or predecessor. And so all of us have been born into or kind of I guess, forced into some type of legacy, whether it's good or bad that our parents, ancestors, family lineage have kind of left us. And some of us would rather run from that and start over and have a new one. Some of us have parents that we are trying not to be like them at all. It's just a terrible thing and experience. And it's a lot of heartbreak there. But it's the reality of you were born into and you have a legacy passed down to you. And so you get to decide what you do with it now to then reshape, rewrite, reform it, to then pass it on to the next generation coming up behind you. And so whether you like it or not, we have a legacy that we're writing in the moment that one day in the future or when we're not around, will be passed on to our kids if we have them or the people around us that we got to do life with here on earth. So I want to talk about legacy. So Genesis chapter 23 is where we'll be. We'll go through this, uh, the, this chapter and extract these three main things that I have for us. And the book of Genesis 
is really a book of firsts. Like when we read the book of Genesis, we see first when the first sin happened, first man was created, the first sin happened, the first act of forgiveness, the first sacrifice, and all these firsts happened. But it's been like 15 chapters since we've really discovered a, a new first. And in this passage, we're going to find a couple of firsts in this chapter. So here we go. Genesis 23. Let's begin. So Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. We see the death of Sarah. Like the, the, the like Abraham's the father of many nations. I mean, Sarah is like the mother of many nations. She is this iconic figure that is Abraham's companion and wife on this journey with him. So it's an end of an era. It's an end of an era and the torch is going to get passed. And we're seeing this very quickly in the next few chapters. The torch is going to get passed over to the next generation. And so it's the end of this area. And as we look back over the last 12 chapters, we go back, we see this journey that we've been following Abraham and Sarah and God's chosen nation, the nation of Israel. And he shows up to Abraham and he says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's a, he's a Babylon, Babylonian pagan worshiper, nobody that no one's ever heard of. God shows up and says, hey, I want you to be the, a leader of a new nation, a set apart nation following me. Me as your Lord and me as your God, me as your ruler. And through you, Abraham, I will make your descendants number of the stars. And through you, my son, Jesus, my seed is going to come into humanity once and for all and provide redemption and salvation for once and for all, for all of humanity, for all time. That's what the promise that he received uh, earlier, about 12 chapters or, or in chapter 12, my apologies, in chapter 12, he got this call and this promise. And even today, 4,000 years later, we're still talking about Abraham. He is the most influential, if not the most iconic figure in all of human history, outside of Jesus. Jesus, I mean, all of the world dates their calendars and, and times dated after him. But when you think about all other religious groups, and we've talked about this in the series, they all trace back to Father Abraham. They all trace back to this account, these people in this geographical location, if not the most significant iconic figure in all people groups, nations, and religions. His legacy is profound. Over 4,000 years later, we're still influenced by him. And his journey began uh, about 62 years earlier. So we can see that when, 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 when God showed up to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, we see that Sarah was, um, was about 65 years old. And so that means they would have been following for 62 years, roughly, to be 127 years old at her death. So for 62 years, we have watched this. And I think this is significant and important why the Bible includes kind of this timestamp. It's worth pointing out. It seems like the Bible wants us to be clear. And this is good for us, especially you ladies. Like Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that is listed of her age, has her age listed. The Bible loves to list guys' ages or men's ages, like when they uh, were married or when they got this property or when they became ruler, when they died, when the significant event happened in their life. We date it and they put it in scriptures all the time of men's ages, but no other woman in scripture has their age listed except for Sarah. And we think about like there, there's a significant value placed upon Sarah that no other women in scripture got. And there were some other significant women in scripture I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like why wouldn't God through the power of the Holy Spirit identify her as the 
teenager, 13, 15, 16 year old teenager that she probably would have been when she conceived Jesus. Why wouldn't they timestamp that with a date to bring value and significance to her? They didn't do that. They did it with Sarah and only Sarah. And some expressions of Christianity hold Mary, the mother of Jesus, a very high esteemed, almost honor and worship her. But nowhere in the Bible does it say we should do that. Three times in scripture says we should look to Sarah. And, I, and uh, those will be listed in your notes. But like you could, we, the scriptures tell us to look towards Sarah as an example of how to be a godly woman. And it also points us a lot of times in scripture to look at Abraham and Sarah as examples of what it means to live out a life of faith. And so age is given. It provides significance and value to her unlike any other woman in scripture. And they list her age at death at 127 years. That's a life well lived for Sarah, but it's the end of an era. They've been following for 60. We've been following this journey for 62 years. Some of you are like, literally, we've been doing it for 62 years. It's been 20 some weeks, but we've been doing 62 years of the life of Abraham and Sarah. And I just want to think about how long they've been married. Think about this for a second. If we've been following them for 62 years, they were 65 when the journey began. He was called out of his father's nation or father's uh, household to go and be a great nation. Roughly in that culture, they would have got married in the teenage years. So for easy math, let's say 17, that would be 110 years of marriage. 110 years of marriage. And Adam is mourning and he's weeping and he's weeping over the death of his wife. And it was customary to mourn the dead. And people would come out in the streets and they'd have this mourning ceremony, this kind of memorial ceremony. But it was more than just mourning for Abraham. He was weeping. He is reminiscing of 110 years worth of marriage together. And it was not always perfect. We've seen it, the ups and downs, the flaws, the faults, the, the craziness that has played out, but they persevered. And they were able to have an incredible marriage, being faithful to God through it all, trusting in his promise. And he is now losing that uh, wife and that companion that the promise had been spoken over. And here's another first that we see. It says that Abraham weeped. He wasn't just mourning as it was customary to mourn the dead. He was weeping. His body was laying over Sarah. He was holding her and he was crying. It's the first time in the Bible we see tears. First time we see an act of weeping or of crying, which why would God through the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired all of scripture to be put together in the way that it is, allow this to be the first time that crying happened. Think about page three, creation, perfect harmony, sin enters separation from God. Don't you think they would have been crying then like sadness and weeping for what had just happened? And then go over the next page where Cain and Abel were born. And then, you know, Cain ends up killing Abel. There's cold blood murder between two brothers and the parents lose a son. Wouldn't the Holy Spirit want to maybe, you know, give us a peek into the emotional side of that and say there was weeping? No, he didn't record it there. And then we can look at the flood of the earth and all the trauma and destruction there. We look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We can look at the journey of Abraham and Isaac going to that altar to sacrifice him. I'm sure Abraham was probably struggling with that, even though he had faith, for he was still struggling. And nowhere till this point have we seen tears until the loss of Sarah, Abraham's wife, of roughly 100 to 110 years of marriage. The first time it happens is in chapter 23. And I can just imagine Abraham replaying the 100 and 110 years. 
his companion on this journey to being a great nation. The one who she was promised she would bear the son, even in her old age, the miracle of that. And they got to share that, the ups and downs and the faults, because let's be honest, Sarah had faults too. She wasn't perfect. And the thing about her faults is, I love this about her faults, is they were never behind Abraham's back. He had full knowledge and he was the accomplice in all of her faults. And the two most iconic ones are when she said, hey, getting old, I'm outside of childbearing years. Here's my servant. Let's take matters into our own hands and, and make the promise of God happen on our terms and our timeline. And she came up with the plan. Abraham consented. He was the accomplice. And we saw how chaotic and traumatic and messy that got. They weren't perfect. And then she was in cahoots with Abraham too when they lied twice about her being his sister and not really his wife so that Abraham would, it would go well for him and he wouldn't be murdered or killed and it would go well for him. She was in on it. So her faults are there just like your faults and my faults are there. No one is perfect, not even her. But the thing I love about Sarah and Abraham is that they were able to persevere through that no matter what came their way with faith in God that his promise was gonna be fulfilled in them. Incredible faith for both of them. It's been a good marriage for 100, 110 years. Not perfect, but it's something worth crying over. It's something worth weeping over. Abraham has lost the significant companion and partner on this journey to the promised land that God gave to them 62 years ago. And so the question I have for you is, when that day comes for you, if you're married, what will that day look like? What will it look like? Our days are numbered. The memorial service will probably be short, but the reality is, is what people will feel or think about some of you, and, and I'm not trying to be cynical or, 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 you know, ignorant, but like, it might be a relief for you. Thank goodness they're gone. Like they've been a thorn in my side this whole time. And if that's you, you have a chance to rewrite the legacy of your marriage now and change now so that one day you can weep and mourn over the loss of this beautiful partnership and companionship and marriage that you formed and had and persevered no matter what came. Because Abraham and Sarah had to forgive each other probably a lot over the things and the mistakes that they made and the faults and the failures they encountered. They forgave, they reconciled, they persevered, they pushed on with faith and trusting God. So what is your day gonna look like when that comes? What's your legacy gonna be laid out in your marriage, regardless of the ups and downs and the hills and the valleys and the failures and the faults that exist in your marriage? Can we persevere like these two to one day at the end have weeping and mourning of sadness of a loss of something so special to us and not like a, thank goodness, I'm free from that. And the story goes on. She's dead. He's got to find a place to bury her. And he says this in verse three, then Abraham rose from beside the dead, his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites and said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Underline that, foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Underline that, mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of your tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. This scene is incredible. Abraham comes before them with great humility in his time of mourning and says, hey, I'm a foreigner. I'm an alien, some translations. I'm a stranger among you. I think so lowly of myself and I'm bowing in front of you and I'm asking you to sell me a piece of land that I can bury my dead. And we have to understand this about Abraham is he was an incredibly wealthy man. We've seen this through his journey. Even though he screwed up a lot of times, God still somehow blessed him 
and he had an incredible amount of wealth. They call him a prince among them. They know who he is. He's not a foreigner. He's not a stranger. He's not an alien. They full well know who he is. They know the wealth that he has. Some translations say you're a prince of God. They know he's a man of God. He's set apart. He's different. He's got the favor of God over his life. He's not, he's anything but a foreigner or an alien or a stranger. He's got incredible wealth and influence among people of all nations in that area. He was well known. And so if anybody could come to them and say, I want that grave, they'd be like, yeah, sure, man, that's fine. (laughs) You can have it. And you know what even makes this even more easy for him to play that card? His wife just died of 100 years, 110 years of marriage. Of course, no one's going to say, no way, man, you take that grave. He's mourning, he's weeping, he's powerful, he's wealthy, he's got a good reputation among men. They view him as a prince. Of course, he could come in and say, I want that, but he doesn't. He rightfully probably could have, but he didn't. He didn't use his status and his influence and his title and his respectedness among men to leverage it for his own benefit in his time of mourning and weeping. With humility, he bows down and says, hey, will you please sell me just a small piece of land so I can give my wife the proper burial that she deserves? You see, this man right here, Abraham, has the promise of God on his life. He's in the region of the promised land, the land of Canaan near Hebron. He's in the promised land. It's rightfully his. He knows it. He could stand up and say, that's mine anyway. God's promised it to me. I'm taking it. But he says, no, with humility, I want to buy it rightfully from you so I can give my wife the proper burial. And we can see how Abraham refers to himself, a a foreigner or stranger. He doesn't mean it in the context of he's unknown in that region. I think he means it in the idea of he knows that this life, this earth is not his home. His allegiance is forevermore in eternity with God, the father. And he is a temporary foreigner. He's a temporary stranger living here on earth. This is not his home. Everybody else viewed him as a well-known prince of God, wealthy and influential, but he's, re- he's uh, viewing himself as somebody who's here just temporarily. He's not putting a lot of value here on this earth. His home is with God in heaven. And I think that's why he's identifying himself as a foreigner and a stranger. And I love that he has that view of himself even when others have a different view of him. And so chapter 23 starts off with a memorial service for for Sarah, a gravesite that needs to be purchased. And I just want to move on from there and think we're done, but I got three things that I want to highlight about legacy. And then, yeah, this was a memorial service for Sarah, but in this rest of this section, we're going to see the legacy of Abraham really expounded in these three ways. And the first way that you can build your legacy or leave a great legacy is this, base all of our priorities on heaven, not earth. Base all of your priorities on heaven, not earth. I want to take us to Hebrews 11 real quick, where it talks about before verse 13, Noah, Isaiah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and all these very iconic figures of the nation of Israel. This is what it says about them. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Those people never got to see the fullness of the promise of God that he had over Abraham. Uh, You know, the promise that he had for Abraham and the nation of Israel. But people who say such things, show how they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, 
a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, when he says, I'm a foreigner and a stranger, he's identifying that his allegiance and his priority is eternal, not earthly. He's saying that the country that I'm seeking isn't a country here on earth. It's a country in heaven, a city that God has already prepared for me that I am a citizen of by the blood of Jesus for us, but through the promise of God that he had on his life, he was made righteous in God's eyes to be able to spend eternity with him. And that's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's understanding by being a foreigner. I, I, this is, world is not my home. And all these people had that same faith mindset even when they came to the end of their life. This life is not our home. And when we have this idea and we understand this and get this into our head, death loses its power here on this earth. It doesn't hurt as much. It doesn't sting as much. When we cry, we don't cry a sorrow and deep mourning. We cry out of joy and hope of one day we will all be resurrected into a new life in eternity with God in heaven. And you see, death is an incredible reminder that this life is temporary. Death is an incredible reminder. And if you've experienced somebody very close to you and significant in your life passing away, you know it's kind of this wake up moment of like, oh yeah, there's gotta be more than this. And this life is simply temporary. We're all immortal and will pass away at one point in time. And Abraham in the midst of losing his wife, I think he is reminded that life is temporary. This earth is temporary. I'm a foreigner. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's where my hope is. And so our priority has to be eternal, not earthly. What we really give our life to and how we view our life and existence temporarily is through the lens of eternity. Now that doesn't mean you don't have hopes and dreams and desires and goals and things you want to accomplish. It's okay to have those things because I want to have a good life. I want to enjoy everything in this life. And I know that I believe that God made everything for his glory and for our joy. And so it's not wrong for us to work and to have things and to have nice stuff and, and, and build wealth for ourselves and save money and invest. It's not wrong to do that. But if that's the priority, if that's the thing that's got our heart and our mind and our whole entire life wrapped around it, we've missed it because all that stuff's going to fade away. All of Abraham's wealth is worthless. He's not going to get to enjoy it forever. It's temporary. And he realized that he was a temporary vessel here as a foreigner and his home was in heaven. So our priority, everything that we do, it's not bad to have hopes and dreams and want to live a good life, but have your priority through the lens of eternity through heaven, not here on earth. Abraham was incredibly successful. There's nothing wrong with success, nothing wrong with being a great business person. And we'll see how well he was a business person here in a minute, how he deals with people. But then there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that I heard. It says this, C.S. Lewis was an incredible Christian philosopher and thinker. He said this, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you get neither. And I think the scripture that really backs that up is what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, the whole earth, the whole world and forfeit his soul? We've missed the mark. We've missed the priority. We've missed what's most important in our temporary life here. So view everything through eternity. And we get foolish sometimes and we get caught up in the things of this earth and the temporary things of wealth and pleasure and success and accolades and titles and possession and stuff. And I hope that we will look at everything differently now 
as how is this going to impact eternity? Everything that I'm doing, how is this going to impact eternity? How is this going to impact my family, my kids, my community, my coworkers? How is this going to impact my, 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 my city or community 10 years after I'm gone, 50 years after I'm gone? Everything that I'm doing now, what is it going to look like when I'm no longer here? What kind of legacy and difference will my life make through the lens of eternity and not temporary earthly things? This changes everything. We have this mindset, it changes everything. We stop living for the moment and we start living in God's will for your life. And I believe he'll bless us and he'll provide and your life will get better here on earth and you'll get better at life when you look through the lens of everything with an impact on eternity and not on the here and now. And I know that we've heard live with eternity in mind and stop living for the world and live for heaven. I know that's kind of an abstract concept, but I just want us to stop for a second and think and honestly evaluate, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? 80 hours at the office? Recreation at bowling league and golf league and absent from your wife and kids? And like, where are you spending your time? At the bars every weekend? Like, where are you spending your time, your money, your skills, and leveraging your abilities and your energy? And if we sit down and evaluate, are we really spending it on the things that matter in light of eternity? Are we honestly spending them in the right ways that God is calling us to spend them to? And yes, I want to live it up and enjoy life with my wife and my kids and have all kinds of experiences. I love my kids. I want to maximize it. And that's okay. But that cannot be the priority. The priority is people. The priority is people. You see, the only thing that gets into heaven is people. Stuff comes and goes. The moth rots. The rust gets it. It's, it's literally can't take it with you. The only thing that gets into heaven and lives on forever is people. We are eternal beings in a temporary mortal body. And so we have to invest in people. My priority should be people. Yeah, I still got to make money. I still got to have a job. I should save. I should build wealth. I should create stability for my kids in the future. Yes, but that's not the priority. The priority is people and relationships with people. And that leads me to the second thing about legacies is this, is real legacies are about people, not possessions. Real legacies are about people, not possessions. I want to compare and contrast Lot and Abraham real quick. Lot chose the area near Sodom and Gomorrah. It was about possessions and having things and having titles. He got on the city council per se at the city gate with the leadership. Sin came. He just kind of compromised and got swept up in it. And it was utter destruction for him because his priority was misaligned. Abraham, on the other hand, lived as a nomad. He didn't even own any land. He hasn't owned a piece of land in his whole entire life. He lives in a tent. He's a nomad. He's a wanderer. He's got a bunch of people, though, because he cares about people. He loves people. He served people. He acquired people. He cared about people and not possessions. God provided possessions. God provided wealth. It wasn't on Abraham's doing. He never deserved it or earned it, but God provided it because I think he prioritized people over stuff and possessions and success and wealth and accolades. And here's the cool thing about Abraham is there's two times when his wealth is really listed. And it was when Lot was taken captive and there was these five cities or kingdoms that were being taken captive. And he rallied up his 200 trained men. That's a huge household to have 200 men that were actually trained. And he said, let's ride, let's go save Lot. Let's go save these five cities. And he does, he comes back a, a hero and a military victor. 
and he acquires all kinds of wealth and we get an insight into the, the, the level of his wealth. And the only reason we got that insight is because he went to save people. He went to serve people. He never boasted. He never flaunted it. He was never egotistical with it. We see recorded in scripture. But when he goes to save and serve people, it's made known how wealthy and powerful this guy is. Another instance where we see his wealth is right after that, he comes back as a military victor and he acquires all kinds of possessions from the kings that he saved. And King Melchizedek, if you remember this, I mean, I got to teach on this a while ago, King Melchizedek, now he has an opportunity a priest of God in his presence through King Melchizedek to worship God by giving 10% of his wealth that he acquired. And again, it was counted and we could then quantify how wealthy this guy was when he was worshiping God with his stuff. The two times we see his wealth is when he's saving and serving people, rescuing people, loving people, radically loving people. And also when he was approaching God to worship him in a way that he could worship him. And so I pray and hope that you and I, as people of God, never let our possessions get in the way of loving people. I hope that our possessions never become more valuable than people and relationships. I hope that our heart's desire to achieve more possessions and more positions and more titles and more stuff does not come at the detriment of the people who are most important in our lives. Our wives, husbands, kids, mothers, fathers, co-workers, friends, community members. That our love for possessions and positions and stuff and status would not hinder or get in the way and be a detriment to what matters most, which is people. Abraham loved people. He served people. I think that's why he acquired so many people. He was good to them. He was fair. He treated them right. And I challenge all of us to be like Abraham, when pride wants to creep in of you did this, you achieved this, let's go, next thing, new thing, what's next? That we would stop, focus on heaven, have humility to say it's about people. And I don't wanna take advantage of people. I don't wanna use people for my own benefit. I wanna love and serve and sacrifice people just as Jesus Christ loved and sacrificed and served people and he served you by going to that cross and paying the price you should have paid. And out of love for him and doing that sacrifice, we give our lives back to him as a living sacrifice to further the kingdom. And it's all about people. And all the stuff that you acquire along the way and all the influence you acquire along the way, we got to steward it and leverage it for people. And I don't like to think about my memorial service, which I hope that it is many, 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 many years in the future. But I hope that at my memorial service or my, you know, whatever celebration of life service that that will happen, I hope they don't talk about my successes, my accolades, my titles, my positions, what I built, what I acquired, what I did. I hope they talk about, man, he taught me this. He showed me this. He helped my marriage. He led me to know Jesus. He impacted my life in a way in which I am eternally grateful for. The relationships that people come and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come, I hope that's why they come. And I think that's why, I think that's what you would hope at your end days as well. Because the more that you possess and the more you chase possessions and positions, the less time you often spend with the people that really matter. And so we got to reprioritize. And I implore all of us to evaluate your schedule. Where's all your time being spent? On things that really matter or in significant things that are of this world? View everything, especially people, in light 
of eternity. Abraham loved and served people. He was never perfect. He had a lot of mistakes. They're listed in the Bible. I'm very grateful there's not a book listing all of mine for you to read. But in spite of his failures and shortcomings and faults, he trusted God, he had faith in God, and he followed God enough to love and serve and, and, and be there for people. And he became a great nation and he had a legacy that he would pass on to his kids, his grandkids, great-grandkids, and he got to live in the will and the promise of God. And so where's our priority? Where's our allegiance? Where's our time being spent? Because no one ever gets to their deathbed and wishes they had more money, more stuff, more possessions, more accolades. They wish they would have had more time with the people that they loved and cared about the most. And guess what? We all have another day ahead of us and hopefully many more days ahead of us. So you can start now. Who do you need to go forgive? Who do you need to go reconcile with? Probably might be the person you're living with, your spouse. Might be the kids under your own roof that you have a quarrel among you or some tiff that you need to go and apologize and confess your sin to them and say, I've messed up, I've blown it, I'm sorry, and reconcile with what's most important. That coworker that you got, a, that you got strife with, you need to go and be reconciled and you need to love, serve, and sacrifice people. You can change your legacy now and begin to write it. And God wants to come alongside of you and live it, and you can walk in his will and your legacy will be beautiful. You see, they, they viewed Abraham in verse five as a prince of God. You see, there's a difference between the way we should view ourselves and the way the world should view us. We view it in light of eternity, humble, temporary. Other people view us as great people, genuine, kind, loving, considerate, compassion, all the fruits of the spirit, we leverage that, the spirit living inside of us to go and be Jesus with skin on to reach and love and serve the world around us. So he needs to place the barrier. It goes on in verse seven. Then Abraham rose and bowed before the people of the land and the Hittites. And he said to them, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, the son of Zoar on my behalf. So he will sell me a cave of Machpelah which belongs to him and is at the end of his field, ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. They're like, hey man, we'll give you whatever site you want, just ask it. And he's like, no, I wanna buy it. And I have one in mind, go get Ephron. It just so happened Ephron is there at the meeting that he's at at the town gate. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among the people and replied to Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites who had come to the, sea, the gate of the city. No, my Lord, he said, Ephron said, listen to me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that's in it. I give you that in the presence of my people, bury your dead. Abraham came back and said, Ephron, I'm bowing down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron in the hearing, listen to me. I, if you will, I will pay the price for this field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead. And Ephron answered Abraham, no, you listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. What? I, what? I, I don't know what's happening here, but we got to understand the culture of bargaining at a, in the Middle East at this time. And even it, it kind of, it, it kind of still exists in parts of that country and even other countries where there's markets to where it's a bargaining kind of community an e-commerce structure. There's not prices listed on items, but you would come up and if you wanted something, yeah, that's yours, man, that's yours. Yeah, 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 right, how much? And then you would start this negotiating process and you would go back and forth and back and forth until you had an agreed upon 
price. And so, yeah, it seems like a kind gesture. They want to give him the land, but they're saying it's whatever you want, it's yours. And then they would start this negotiating process and they're just doing what was customary in their culture. But Abraham could have taken the first offer of it's all yours and he could have taken it. No one would have batted an eye. It would have been fine because we already talked about his influence that he had in that, in that culture. But he's saying, no, I want full price. I want full price. I want to pay for this. And so Ephron comes back and says, 400 shekels, man, but you know, it's not that big a deal. What is it between you and me? Like, it's fine. I don't need the money, but that's what it would be worth. So Abraham writes the check. He gets the, he gets the, the, the money and he, and he gets it and he, and he weighs it in, in front of the, you know, the money exchangers and he gives it over and the land was then sold to Abraham and it was deeded to his name for 400 shekels of silver. And I want to give us a reference of comparison real quick. In 2 Samuel, it, it mentions when David, King David, when he's going to build the temple for God, he's got to buy land. He pays 50 shekels of silver for all the land that the temple will be built on. It's a huge temple. Abraham just paid 400 shekels of silver for a hole in a rock and a grassy field. He overpaid. It's absurd, the amount. And I could just imagine the interaction where, you know, Ephron's like, 400 shekels of silver, not a big deal. And he's expecting Abraham to come back with like maybe, maybe 10 shekels, you know. And then when Abraham said, yeah, 400, I'm sure everyone's like, no, no, dude, I, I'm, that's, just, that's like the starting price. That's what we do in our bargaining culture. Like, no, no, it's way too much. He's like, no, I'm going to pay what you've asked, full price. And here's the thing I think it insights into Abraham is that he, there are some things willing to pay for. And it's people. There are some things that you can't put a price tag on, especially in a time of mourning and sadness that he's experiencing. He loves Sarah so much that no matter what price Ephron would have mentioned, he'd have been like, yep, done deal. I want my wife to be buried here. 400 is an absurd number, but there's some things money can't buy. Some things are worth paying for. It's about building your legacy. It's about investing in people. It's about persevering with a spouse through no matter what happens to be an example of the love of Christ, the, the witness of the gospel through your marriage. Your kids are worth it. They are the most important thing that you get to steward in this life more so than any position or job title or career that you have. Your kids and you stewarding them and raising them the right way are worth it. I'm not talking about extravagance and spending an, an absorbent amounts of money on them. I'm saying being intentional with the time and the resources to foster those relationships because that is what truly matters. There's another first here. This is the first piece of land that Abraham ever owns in his life that we know of. And it's the only piece of property that he owns in the promised land that God promised him in the land of Canaan. He owns it. It's deeded over to him. It says this, Verse 17, so Ephron's field of Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees and the borders of the field were deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of the Hittites who had came to the gate of the city. And it says that he would bury Sarah there. The only thing that Abraham owned on this earth was a place for burying, not living. The only piece of property he ever owned in the promised land was where death would be buried and not where life would happen. And we think that's so backwards. Like, no, he was promised to live and inhabit that land. He's never going to fully see that promise come true in his lifetime. It will happen through his descendants, but he's not going to get to the only piece he ever owned was for burying, not living, for death, not life. And spoiler alert, 
Abraham's going to die in the next few chapters here. I know. Death bats a thousand. No one's exempt. And so Abraham will be buried there with Sarah. And it will go on that Isaac and Jacob and Rebekah and Leah and his descendants, those, those descendants will be buried in that tomb as well. And he only had one place that he owned, and it was a house for dead people. And here's the thing about death. Death is just a doorway into eternal life. Abraham is owning a doorway into eternal life. That's why he's saying, I'm just a foreigner. Death is just a doorway into my permanent residency of a citizen of heaven with God, my father, forevermore. And Abraham invested. He planted a doorway in the, in the city of Canaan or the land of Canaan for people to know that there's more to life than this. We are simply temporary. It's profound. It's pretty cool. And the final thing I want to say about a legacy is this. Show people you follow Jesus by your testimony, not your titles. Show people that you follow Jesus by your testimony, not your title. Don't say you're a Christian. Act like Christ. Let your life be an example of the transformation the gospel has done in your life. Not because you received a title, you do enough good, attend enough church. I'm a Christian. I subscribe to the you know, ideology and lifestyle, but I act like Christ, my savior. And we don't have to try to convince people that we're a Jesus follower. Let your life be evidence enough that you are a follower of Jesus, that your priority is heaven and not in the things of this earth. You prioritize people and the gospel, loving God and loving others, which is the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave us. Love God, love others. And it also says, if, if you are my disciples, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. How do you love people? And what does love require of you in those relationships? Typically, love looks like sacrifice a lot of times. It looks like selflessness all the time. It looks like humility where pride doesn't exist and you give your life away for the betterment of other people. That's what love is. And that's what marriage is. That's what parenting is. That's what love requires. People will know that you are my fathers because you love one another. And so don't use a title to try to show off how big your faith is. Let your life and your legacy reflect that on its own by the way you engage with the world around you. Like Abraham, Prince of God, well-respected, a man of honor and authority, not because he thwarted it for his own benefit, but because he loved people so well and cared for people so well and was respected among men and they viewed him as a man set apart, a nation set apart, different than the world around them. And that's the call for you and I, that our testimony would be the biggest thing people would notice about us and not a title of being a Christian. And so I have two final questions as we close. What will you do? Will you do what God is calling you to do? We talked about this last week, both weeks are about faith, having enough faith to do what God says to do, even if it's unclear and doesn't make sense. Will you do what God is calling you to do? And don't just carry a title, but walk in the lifestyle of what he's calling you to do and trust him enough that he knows better than you and how to have the best life temporarily to then impact as many people as possible to build a legacy, live inside the will of God and ultimately live forever with him. Will you do what God is calling you to do? And the second thing is this, if you're married, I love Abraham and Sarah's marriage. 
And if you're married or you want to be married and, and, and some of us will have a call of singleness and the Bible talks about that's to be celebrated and embraced. That's for some of us, yes. But most of us will get married or are married. And the number one thing I think you can do to leave a legacy is to stay married and not just survive marriage, but thrive in marriage. To go home right now or to turn to them right now and have a conversation, apologize, make amends, start over, regardless of how hurt and the trauma and the pain and the sin that exists or the, the baggage you're carrying, you can rewrite it starting now. And maybe one of the most significant things you'll ever do is have a godly marriage. And so your legacy is dependent upon these two things. Will you do what God's calling you to do? And if you're married, will you have a godly marriage? Because that is the greatest testament, the greatest testimony of Jesus is how you conduct your marriage. And one final thing I want to say to married people who have kids. When I think about legacy, it's hard for me to not think about, you know, the, the kids coming up in our household behind us and even grandkids coming up behind them in our household. After, I don't, I'm going to foreshadow next chapter. After this moment, Abraham gets up and he starts walking in the will of God again. And he's like, hey, I'm going to stay in the will of God. I'm going to make sure Isaac stays in the will of God. I'm going to make sure he gets the right wife from the right group of people and stay in this land that God has promised us. He's looking future. He's future minded. He's generational minded. And so you and I, if we have kids, we got to be generational minded. And maybe the most significant thing you'll ever do is raise a Jesus follower. Not a professor, not a neuroscientist, not a doctor, not a millionaire, but a follower of Jesus who loves God and loves people so well that they build a legacy that is through the lens of eternity and not of this earth. And when I think about my kids, what I want for them more than, and I want them to be super successful more so than I'll ever be and have wealth and, and, and enjoyment and the fullest of lives. I want that. I want them to have straight A's and good grades. I want them to have all of that. But if not, I just want them to be in heaven. If nothing else, I want them to know Jesus and be in heaven. And that's the greatest responsibility you and I as parents have been given is to steward those souls well, to introduce them into Jesus and not by what we say, but by how we live. So I've heard it put this way, earn the right to be heard and then say something. Earn the right to be heard by the way you live your life as mom and dad, examples of Jesus to your kids and to your spouse on a daily they will come to know him and then you can talk because if you say it, they might not re receive it. They might want to reject it and push away from it, but live a life worthy of the gospel in your marriage and in your parenting and raise great kids to build your legacy. Abraham and Sarah are a couple that we are to look towards. An iconic figure of what it means to be men and women of faith, to build a legacy, to think generational and leave behind a world way better than we found it. So what's your legacy going to be? What's your life going to look like? And you get to decide starting now to build towards that. Father, I thank you that you're going to call us to be men and women of integrity following you. And God, would you help us rewrite our legacies? Would you help us be lovers of people really well? God, would you help us to be difference makers, not by what we say, but really by how we act and how we treat one another? And God, that we would glorify you with everything that we do, our work, our parenting, our business, our recreation, our lives, every aspect would be through the lens of eternity, realizing this is temporary. And we want to keep you as the priority in your kingdom and your will, which you're calling us to and, 
and allow us to have enough obedience and enough faith to step by step do what you're asking us to do in our marriage, in our parenting, in our work, in our lives. And you get all the glory and we would build legacies that are worthy of the gospel. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.